Thank you, Madison and Jessica. And uh, we won't be having children's church today because uh, we are observing the Lord's table. And so <clears throat> children, three to eight, year, eight years old, if you'll just stay in here. forgot to also mention that we do have a couple of eighth graders that are continuing on. And we are going to be holding a card shower uh, reception. Uh, we're going to have a table out there and some baskets. You can put some uh, cards of graduate, um, congratulations to them. And it is for Elizabeth Barton, Mallory Thompson, Mallory Thompson, Joyce Miller, Brandy White, and Ashley Benavides. And so um, I think I slaughtered her last name again. But anyway, if you will go ahead and um, note those names and plan on doing that, we'll have that table set up next week. And I'll put this here, Miss Holly, so I remember to announce that next week. Oh, I really love that song. A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I had, a trouble, I had trouble finding it in our hymn book. But it reminded me of the series we've been studying on and some of the last uh, couple of sermons that we've been, I've been preaching. Uh, a Mighty Fortress is Our God, verse 2, says, Did we in our own strength confine our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age the same. And He must win the battle. Verse 3, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. Amen. I love these Scripture-saturated hymns. Aren't you thankful for a good heritage of biblically-centered songs and hymns? Um, very thankful for them. I'm thankful for the new sacred songs as well that are biblically-oriented and Christ-honoring, but I love the old ones as well. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going to continue on uh, studying the ministry and the life of Christ. Mark chapter 5 came across a story this week of two hunters that were out and they were going to do some hunting and they came upon this abandoned farm. And the reason why they knew it was an abandoned farm is because the barn was sagging, the roof on the farmhouse was in disrepair, um, and the yard scattered about was junk cars and car parts. And the only reason they thought it was a farm because there was some chickens there and there was a goat wandering around. And as uh, these two hunters uh, were walking around the property, they saw this old well. One of the hunters said, how, you, how deep do you think that is? The other guy said, I don't know. The only way we're going to know is put, throw something down it. And so we can uh, test how deep it is that way. They looked around for something to throw in there, and the, the nearest, closest thing was this old transmission. So they put this old transmission in the well, and it went down, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and it finally they heard a splash, and it, wow, that is a deep well, a deep well indeed. And as they were turning around, the goat that was wandering around was charging straight at them, head down, horns pointed, and was heading right at them, and they jumped out of the way just in time, and that goat went over the side and down the well. And... The two hunters were so thankful and they're about to leave the property and the farmer, uh, the owner of the farm drives up in his truck. And he, they talk to him and they get permission to hunt his land. 
And he says, where's my goat? And they say, your goat? Your goat almost killed us. He tried to ram us and knock us into that well. He said, and they started berating and said, you know, you really should have that goat tied up. And he said, I thought I had him tied up to that old transmission. (laughs) Um, Anyway, (laughs) what I'm trying to illustrate here is um, I feel sorry for that goat. Um, poor goat was tied to that old transmission and he had to follow what he was tied to, didn't he? But you know, as God's people and just sinners living in a sin-cursed world, we can be tied down by our fears rather than tied down to faith in Jesus Christ. And when uh, times, hard times come in our life, we can um, our faith can fade in Jesus Christ. We can... Uh, fear that Jesus has forsaken us. We can fear that Jesus doesn't love us. We can fear that Jesus can't protect us in this situation. We can fear that Jesus has just made a mistake. We can fear that all hope is lost. We're gonna. Um, I'm gonna introduce you to a couple of people in Mark chapter five, starting in verse 21, that Jesus, that encounter Jesus, that come to Jesus, and they are in a hopeless situation and fear has uh, could have destroyed their faith but they come to Jesus by faith and I want you to see especially with Jairus the first man that we're introduced to in verse 21 really my message is kind of focused looking at this event through his eyes okay um, it is uh, partially about him but also about a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. and But I want you to see that when Jesus is approached by Jairus, that He went with Jairus every step of the way through that trial after Jairus came to Him by faith. He goes from the shores of Galilee and He proceeds to His house and He is with Him through His journey of faith. And that's what I've titled this message is the journey of faith. As we've been uh, covering the life of Christ, the last uh, couple of um, passages here in chapter 4 and then chapter 5 of Mark, been seeing that Jesus has the power to calm a storm and He um, has authority over the forces of nature because He is the Son of God. And that's what this Gospel of Mark is all about. It says the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's pretty much the purpose statement of this Gospel. And we saw in chapter 4 that Jesus can calm a storm or a situation that's out of control for us. But then in Mark chapter 5, verses 1-20, through we see that He can change the life of the most vilest person. That He has the power to do these things. And it is a great thing to know that our Lord has the power he is omnipotent and that He can change a, person, a sinner's life. He can come and intervene in our storms of life and bring peace and calm and comfort to our hearts and to our life. But how does that happen? You have to come to Him by faith. And I, I just want to uh, highlight here in verses 21 through the end of the chapter how Jesus hi, um, shows how He works powerfully in people's lives. And you can put your confidence in Him. 
You can put your confidence in His presence. We're going to see He never leaves Jairus. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You can put your confidence in His compassions. He's faithful. Like the book of Lamentations, His compassions fail not. Um, Also, you can put your confidence in His power because He's the Son of God. But you must come to Him by faith. And what does this life of faith involve? First of all, it begins by asking for the Lord's help. We see in verses 21 through 24 that Jairus comes and asks for the Lord's help. James chapter 4 says, Ye have not because ye ask not. And I think this is an exhortation for us all. Verse 21 of chapter 5 in the Gospel of Mark says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little girl lieth at the point of death. Come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him or surrounded him and oppressed oppressed her in around him. You must ask for the Lord's help. Matthew here, um, excuse me, we're in Mark, but the Gospel of Matthew records this event as well as the Gospel of Luke as we've seen on a number of occasions. Matthew gives a little bit more detail. It says that Jesus came back to his own city. So we know that this is Capernaum. Okay? We know this is Capernaum. He's ministered there before. Uh, And if you remember that the last time he was in Capernaum, he was in the synagogue and the scribes and Pharisees were there earlier in this Gospel of Mark and they accused Jesus of being a servant of Satan. Pretty strong statement, huh? They opposed Jesus. They accused him of being a servant of Satan and not a servant of God, of being possessed by some demon and not being the Son of God. And he rebukes them and and proves them wrong. But this is the kind of opposition that existed in in Capernaum um, and the synagogue there. Now, this passage says that Jairus was one of the rulers um, of the synagogue. He was one of the rulers or one of the elders of the synagogue. These synagogues were ruled by elders. Um, and that's the kind of system that they had there in Judaism. They would man- he would manage the services, the worship services that would take place uh, there in the synagogue. Sometimes he might have taught. But put yourself in Jairus' shoes. He has most likely met Jesus or heard of Jesus. And he is in a position of great despair as his daughter is sick of whatever. And the Gospel of Luke says it was his only daughter. A little bit more added detail that might make that makes this even more dramatic. And here, Jairus would have been very afraid to go to Jesus. And as You've been here in the last couple of weeks. You know that Jesus, he left Capernaum and he went to the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee to the, around to the Decapolis where this, uh, where Gadara was, where this demoniac was at and he healed him and then he was run off from there. But apparently from that time of leaving Capernaum to go there, 
his daughter either got sick or got worse. Okay? And anyway, while Jesus was gone, Jairus needed him. And he wasn't there because he went to the other side. Now, he wasn't there very long. But when he is coming back and the people notice that Jesus' boat is coming back, they surround the shore to such an extent that it's hard to get in there and they press and surround against him. And this has been a typical thing in his life and ministry since he began uh, early in the first chapter of Mark. And now Jairus is desperately waiting on the shore and also a woman with an issue of blood. Now, the application in this first section that I want you to take away with you is prayer. It's prayer for us today. Um, you know, many times we live in denial of how much we need the Lord. Uh, we can face tough situations, and then we finally just cave in. Um, I remember with the fever I had, you know, I, I only had one full day to really work this week because I was sick most of the week. Uh, I came in on several occasions and worked a couple hours and I had to go straight back home and go back to bed because I had a fever and I needed to recover because I wanted to preach this Sunday. I remember just getting on my hands and knees, you know, and just asking the Lord, you know, I need you to heal me. I need to get better. And I know this is just a common thing, but I need to get better because I need to preach on Sunday. And, you know, we a lot of times go to the Lord in our crisis moments when we really can't do anything. But what about on our day-to-day basis, you know? Do we live, um, are we people of prayer? And we see here that Jairus comes before the Lord and it says that when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. This was a big thing for Jairus. Maybe not for you and me, but for Jairus it was. Because to fall on your hands and knees at his, at his feet signified that you were humbling yourself before Jesus. And he was an honored elder in this synagogue. And this synagogue has rejected Jesus. So he's putting himself in a precarious place, but he loves his daughter and he believes in the power of Christ enough that he doesn't care what these other people think and he bows down and humbly seeks the Lord, Lord's help. Also, he asked earnest, earnestly, it says, and he besought him greatly or earnestly. And a lot of times we go to the Lord and we ask wavering. With, you know, we just kind of like, well, Lord, if it is your will, you know, maybe. Or we don't even come persistently. But he comes and he's asking over and over for help, uh, begging the Lord to come to heal his daughter. And then he asks confidently. He says, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. She shall live. Actually, that word healed is the same word for saved. You could translate it this way. Come and lay thy hands on her that she may be saved and she will live. Isn't that amazing? It's a... I believe that he uh, thinks that his daughter could die at any moment. She is at death's door. And I want you to notice that Jesus immediately goes with him in verse 24. And Jesus went with him. No talking, no response, no, oh, how how old is she? We find out she's 12 years old a little bit later. But, you know, he he just goes. He responds to faith. 
And was his faith very strong? Not really. In the other Gospel accounts, we read that earlier in the ministry of Christ, a centurion, a soldier, a Roman soldier that was in charge of a hundred men, sent um, the elders, the elders of the synagogue, to Jesus to ask for him to heal his servant. Now, this centurion sent for Jesus, and as he approached, his, uh, approached him, he sent servants to him and says, "You don't need to come to my house. I am a man in authority, and I have men under me." All you have to do is say the word and I know that my servant will be healed from a distance. And Jesus says, he turns around to the, crowd, I have, to the crowd and says, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. And see, these, Jairus could have been one of those elders, but he comes and he believes that Jesus has to come to his house and has to touch his daughter when Jesus could have spoken the word like he did before and healed her on the spot. But he comes with a weak faith. But that's not the point. He came with faith. And that's all it takes. Okay? A lot of people want to say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. That's hogwash. Jesus says, come to me by faith. Whatever faith you have. Come. It can be a mustard seed faith, and I will respond. Second of all, you must not only ask for the Lord's help, you must wait for the Lord's timing when you live by faith. Uh, As we serve the Lord, many of you can attest to this that we have to ask the Lord for help, but many times we have to wait for the Lord's timing. You think of Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament. You remember him? How he was sold into slavery? How he was cast into a pit? Before he was sold into slavery, God gave him a dream that actually his brothers and his father and his mother would actually bow down before him. But he was sold into slavery and was a slave. And then later was thrown into prison. And then later was betrayed. And Joseph's story is all about waiting for the Lord's timing. And as he waited for the Lord's timing, the Lord made him into the man of God that he needed to be to be the second most powerful man in the world when God's timing arrived. Look at verse 25. And uh, on their way to Jairus' house, we read, "...in a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years..." and had suffered many things of many physicians, had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, uh, but rather grew worse. And when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garments, for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole, or I shall be saved. And straightway the mountain of her, excuse me, and straightway the fountain or the spring of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague or that scourge. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press or the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude around thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, daughter, thy faith had made thee whole or has saved thee. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. 
we see this um, unusual account, and but it really relates to kind of where we're at a lot of times, is when we're serving the Lord and we ask Him, we come to Him and we ask for His intervention, or we ask for His will to be done, or we ask for wisdom, and we're uh, waiting for God to intervene and work in our life, or we're asking for this answered prayer, and it just hasn't been answered the way we want it yet, or it hasn't been answered the way uh, we it hasn't been answered at all in our minds. Then we kind of question, where is the Lord? Did He go to sleep? Did He leave town? And the the thing is, is that God is never late. He's always on time. He's never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. And here. Um, I can imagine that Jairus is getting impatient with the Lord. It doesn't say it, and I know I am reading into it, but he had to have been struggling in his own spirit because he came and he begged for his daughter's life, and then Jesus stops. It wasn't the woman's fault. If you think about this woman, she had an embarrassing um, condition. She didn't want everybody to know about it. Um, She didn't want... Everybody to know about it because, first of all, she was spiritually unclean according to the book of Leviticus. And by people touching her in the crowd, they became ceremonially unclean until that evening. And so she would be hated and despised for that. But then also it was just an embarrassing thing, you know, you just don't even want to talk about in public. And so this woman was dead set she believed Jesus could heal her. She was desperate and she um, came and she touched just the hem or the edge or the tassels of his garment, this uh, garment that he wore, and, it, and she was healed. And once she was healed, she started retreating and backing into the crowd. She was ready to leave. Uh, she did not want to stick around. But Jesus chose to stop. See, it wasn't a woman's fault. She wasn't the hindrance. Jesus stopped on purpose. And He had a purpose in mind. First of all, He wanted to make sure that everyone, as we read here, that He chose to heal this woman. No power escaped from Him. It may seem like that to you, but as we have studied the life of Christ, we know that He is the Son of God, that He is in control. He's not like some battery that's short-circuited and you know the electricity is... Um, it's uh, stolen away in that in that manner, but no, he is uh, totally in control of what he's doing. But he has a purpose in stopping the crowd. And yes, it is a delay, but it is a delay that God did on purpose, and He did it, and He designed it to increase Jairus's faith and also the faith of this woman. First of all, He did it because He chose to clarify that the woman's faith was in Him and not in His clothes. Okay. That's one purpose. Also, he chose to assure the woman that her disease was certainly gone and would not return. But then also for Jairus, he did it to encourage his faith. And we'll get to that in just a minute. And as we think about our trials, the Lord many times will use trials and delays in our life to stretch our faith. In verses 27-32, through it seems like that's the case. Even his own disciples in this passage, criticize Jesus for this delay. They look at Jesus and they say, Really? Master? You're asking who touched you and you're surrounded by all these people? But see, Jesus was not asking who touched my clothes. He, he was saying, 
who touched me in faith. Okay? It's a matter of faith. That's what Jesus wanted to highlight here. And so he turns behind himself and he points, uh, he starts looking for this woman in verse 32. And that word looked is in the imperfect tense and, and it means that he looked in the past, but it was a consistency. So he was looking among the crowd, each person at a time. Not because he didn't know who it was, because he was trying to get this woman to come forward and to give testimony of what he's done. And here, she comes forward in verse 34, uh, in verse 33, and she tells everybody the whole truth. And really what I believe she probably told them is what we read actually in verses 25 through 26. How this woman has suffered with this condition for 12 years. She has gone to doctors and she has lost all that she has had. Not only was she separated from the synagogue, not only was she separated from her family, she was probably separated from her husband for 12 years. She was separated from social gatherings. She really was not supposed to be in the crowd that day. And the fact that people were around her and not repulsed by her probably meant she was from out of town, most likely. But she's there, and she's in the crowd. She's anonymous. She's unknown. The Scriptures don't identify who she is. But she's there. She's seeking help by faith. And she has been separated from all her possessions. She is broke. She is separated from all hope of any cure. But she came to Christ and she put her faith in Him. And He specifies in verse 34, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. It wasn't touching my garment. She may have been a little superstitious. Maybe she thought the garment would heal her. We don't know exactly what her faith was in. But Jesus makes it very clear that her faith in him, whether it was weak or whether it was weak, it God worked through that and healed her body. And she was made spiritually clean and physically she was healed. And so and I think also it must have been some kind of spiritual cleansing because he calls her daughter and references her as a child of God, which earlier he said only you know my brothers and sisters and sons and daughters are the ones who do the will of God my Father earlier in the Gospel of Mark. So it seems to think it's been more than a physical healing but some kind of spiritual healing as well. But the passage doesn't go into further detail. But this woman's life is changed forever. And Jesus uses this moment, instead of her going back to her home, He brings her to the front and uses her testimony to to encourage Jairus. I just want to remind you, when Jairus came to Jesus, what did he have his faith in? That Jesus touched his daughter and she shall be healed. And Jesus specifies that it wasn't her touch that healed her, It was her faith in Him. And this is paramount because what happens next in Jairus' life. Look at verse 35. Verse 35, While Jesus yet spake, there came news from the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. 
the worst has happened. A hopeless cause. And these people come and they ask this question, Why troublest thou the Master any further? And as soon as Jesus overheard the word that was spoken, He said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid. Do not be fearing. Only believe. Or literally, keep on believing in Me. Luke, in his Gospel, in Luke chapter 8, adds a little bit to it. And Jesus actually gives him a promise. promise, And He says, And your daughter will be made whole. Actually, He promises that she shall be made whole. Just keep on believing in Me. And as we think about our journey of faith, it begins with asking the Lord for help okay, by faith. And then waiting for the Lord, Lord's timing or for the Lord's working. But then... We also have to keep trusting in His Word as well. It's not just an easy walk of faith. We have to keep trusting His Word as well. And we see here that these friends come in verse 35 and they say, why are you troubling Jesus any further? There's nothing else He can do. They call Him the Master, the Teacher. That's all they thought Jesus truly was. They didn't see Him as He truly was the Son of God. And then also, we continue reading in verse 37. And Jesus suffered no man to follow Him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And He cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and He sees the tumult or the commotion. And they that wept and wailed greatly. And when He was come in, He saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, or this commotion, and weep? The damsel, or the little girl, is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laugh Him to scorn. But when He put them all out, He taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with Him, and He entereth in where the damsel was lying. So we see like three groups of people here that are not helping the situation at all the unbelieving friends that come and say, why trouble Jesus? He's not going to help us anymore. He's not going to help you anymore. Then the the unbelieving crowd. And I believe they were predominantly an unbelieving crowd because there were people you know, bumping into Jesus all over the place, um, but it was the touch of this woman, you know, a touch of faith, a touch of belief that actually brought healing. And there was more than just one person there seeking healing. And so he sends the crowd away and reduces the number just to his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And that we'll see this uh, commonly throughout the rest of the Gospel. But then also when he gets to the house, the unbelieving criers as well. That they're there and they're professionally hired. You can tell they, they don't mean one word they're saying as they're weeping and crying. And when Jesus comes in, he says, why are you making this ado? Don't you know I was coming? says the girl, she, she's sleeping. She's not dead. And what he means is that she is dead, but she's only going to be dead for a little while. I'm going to raise her from the dead. He does this in John chapter 11 with Lazarus. He tells his um, disciples that Lazarus is asleep. And what he means by that is that he's only going to be dead for a little while, and then I'm going to raise him from the, from the grave. Same thing for this little girl. And so we read uh, here in verse 41 that he goes into this uh, death chamber, if you want to call it that, 
And he took the damsel, the little girl, by the hand, and he said unto her, and Mark is the only one who uses the Aramaic terms here that Jesus actually spoke, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, little girl or little lamb, arise. He speaks to her in such a tender way. He grabs her hand in a gentle way, but he powerfully calls her spirit back to her body. And verse 42, And straightway the damsel arose and walked. Not only did he return her spirit to her body, but he healed her as well. And immediately she gets up, and it says uh, that she was 12 years of age, and they were astonished with a great astonishment because she got up and started walking up around the room. And in verse 43, And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Let me just uh, bring this to a a close here as we think about the power of Christ. There's one aspect to think Jesus has this power, but how does that become a part of my life when I come to Him by faith? I can know that Jesus Christ is my Savior, that He can save me from my sins, but you have to come to Him and trust Him by faith for salvation. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can make you acceptable to God. I mean, I saw a whole other message in this passage as well about evangelism. The fact that this woman came and by faith put her, you know, she put her faith in Christ and she became spiritually clean. And then uh, this uh, Jairus comes and puts his faith in Jesus that he can overcome sin and death, and he does on the cross. But I think, Christian, that the main emphasis is for you and me. How do you respond to hopeless situations? How do you live by faith? You have to come and ask the Lord for help. You have to wait for the Lord's timing. And you have to come and keep trusting in His Word. And I don't know about you, but um, I've come to the realization that Jesus doesn't always heal. He doesn't always um, spare people death. Sometimes healing means that He allows them to die because that is healing for that person. And we see even in the Gospel accounts that there were people that came to Jesus that we don't even know of that He came in contact with and they were not healed. It's not always God's will that that people be healed, but we're supposed to come to Him by faith. And we see here that Jesus is with His children every step of the way. He doesn't leave them nor forsake them. He uses these trials to strengthen their faith, but we have to begin by coming to Him by faith. We have to wait on His timing and keep trusting in His Word. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, I thank You so much for this passage of Scripture and for the example that we have in Your Word of how Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is mighty to save, He's mighty to heal, intervene in our lives. And Lord, we just uh, look to Him today to intervene on our behalf in our lives in regards to the situations that we're in. Lord, as we look at um, this next week, we don't know what lays uh, ahead for us. Lord, I don't know what many of these people are... Um, bearing in their own lives. I know what some of them are carrying, but not all. Lord, maybe they are under the gun right now when they need to come to You by faith. 
They know you as their Savior, but fear has cast out that love that you call them to live out in their lives. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to look to you and for our strength, for our confidence, for the mercies um, as we face the hardships of life. Thank you, Lord, for the Lord's table and that we can gather like this and we can remember our powerful Savior and how he gave his life on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Lord, I just pray that you would use this time to draw us close to yourself. And Lord, if we need to um, confess sin to you, Lord, that we would talk to you in prayer at this time. Lord, that we would get our focus back on you and the sacrifice that you've made for us. And Lord, may it motivate us to be more committed in our lives to you. We pray, Lord, that you will bless the remainder of our time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.